Well, today we're wrapping up our sermon series that we've been in the last few weeks on Joseph and his amazing life, the journey that he goes through that we find at the end of Genesis. And this week as I was preparing uh, the sermon on this last kind of section that we're going to be looking at today, the final chapters of Joseph's life, um, I got caught in one of those internet time suck holes. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? When you're at work and then you click on something and then you keep clicking, and then you keep clicking, and then you look up, and an hour later, you're like, what have I done with my life? Um, so I thought that uh, we'd take a moment, and that you could get stuck in this time suck that I was in as well. And, and it was basically this. It was, can you tell us what these are pictures of? That was the question. And there was all these different images. So this one was one of the first ones. Does anybody know what this is? Okay, a bank vault. Yeah. Okay, y'all are, y'all are older than me. So, you know, you, you, you understand these, these things. Wayne, you got it. Um, so that was one. I was like, huh, okay. And then there was this one, trying to figure that out. I was like, I, it took me a little while, but then I eventually got it. It's a, it's a rocket leaving the atmosphere taken from outer space. And then there was this one, which was interesting, because this is something we see pretty much like every day. You know what this is? The, this is the inside of a Redbox DVD dispenser. Um, like you see at, at Kroger and everything. And then there was this one. This was my favorite um, because this one is just an otherworldly picture. Okay, y'all have played this. Y'all have seen this online. Y'all have wasted a lot of time too. This is the inside of a violin. And then this one, I should have gotten quickly, but it, it took me a while because I love these things. This is the inside of a firework. And so, yeah, as you can see, I wasted a lot of time on that, and there was a ton more pictures, but as I was diving deeper into those pictures, I realized something, you know, perspective is a powerful thing. When we have the right perspective, we can see things clearly, but if we're not sure what's going on or, or we don't have the right perspective, then things can get fuzzy and hazy, and we're not quite sure what's going on or where we're going. And so as I was looking at all this, you know, I was realizing, okay, per- perspective is pretty powerful. And then as I continue studying in Joseph's story and I got to the end of it, I realized, you know what, perspective is a powerful thing in this story as well. Because at the end of this story, as it all wraps up, we find Joseph having one perspective on his life story and his brothers taking another perspective on his story. And it makes a huge difference and how they interpret what's happened in their lives and how they've responded to it. And so we've basically each week been looking at the different moments and the different scenes in Joseph's life. And, you know, if you were to summarize them, you know, you could could summarize it like this with just a bullet point of facts of different things that happened in his life. And when Joseph's brothers, who were very jealous of him, we learned the first week, when Joseph's brothers looked at how Joseph's life had ended up. They actually looked at all this and they said, you know, this is kind of the story of a tragedy. This is a story of sin, of brokenness, of missed opportunities, of missed years, because they saw, look, you know, our sin, we sold him into slavery and then he was a slave and then he was in prison for many years. Our father wept and grieved for so long. And yes, even in the end, when we were reunited with him, They thought, you know, he's just doing that because he wants to please our father. They looked at everything and they thought, wow, what could have been? And they looked back and they kind of mourned 
Joseph's story in his life and where things had taken him. But Joseph, as he looked back on his life, he actually looked back and interpreted things very differently. He didn't see a mess and a story of sin and brokenness. He actually saw a story where God was at work every single step of the way. And we see these two different perspectives kind of coming to light as we wrap it up in Genesis chapters 46 through 50. And we're just going to look at some stuff in chapter 50 today. But in these final chapters, we, we find, as we, we looked at last week, Joseph and his brothers and his father, they're all reunited. They're, they're, there's forgiveness there. There's reconciliation. The family comes together. Pharaoh is so excited for them. He gives them a huge piece of land for them and all the people, all their descendants and family members and others to come and to rest and to farm and to raise animals. And then we learn that their father, Jacob, he dies and they have a huge state funeral for him. They pull out all the stops and then he wants to be buried in a cave in the land of Canaan with Abraham and Isaac and their wives. So they, they bury him. And then in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, we pick up here. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, well, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. So this might be a little confusing for you because if you were here last week, we talked about how Joseph and his brothers, there was this beautiful scene of forgiveness and of reconciliation and they're all kind of brought back together. But what's happening here is that now that their father has died, the brothers are thinking, you know what? Joseph just did that because he was just trying to make our father happy. He was just trying to be reunited with him. And now that our father's dead, he's about to bring the hammer down on us. He is about to come with vengeance and with fire. He is about to hurt us now that our father's no longer in the picture. And when all of this happens, they make up this lie about their father saying this stuff. Joseph weeps in response and he weeps because his brothers can't see his heart. They can't see that he has truly forgiven them and he wants this relationship with them. They, they can't see that from their perspective. And I don't know, maybe you've experienced this in your life where somebody forgives you, but you, you just can't receive it because you have too much shame, too much guilt. And so they say, hey, look, I forgive you. And you say, no, 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 I, no. And you continue to carry that burden even though they've tried to release you of it. And I, I do this sometimes with God, right? God says if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he will forgive us. So I'll confess my sins. God says, look, I forgive you. And then I'm like, no, no, God, you really couldn't forgive me for that. Because the shame and the guilt is too much. But I recently heard someone say, when we refuse God's forgiveness, it's actually an act of spiritual pride. Because it's saying, God, look, I know you said you forgive me, but I don't believe what you say. I don't care what you say. I'm going to sit over here at my shame and my guilt. And I think it makes God weep when we do that. But so here, Joseph is weeping because his brothers, they, they can't internalize what he has done for them, his act of forgiveness and his desire for reconciliation. And so as we continue in verse 18, his brothers then come to him. They throw themselves down before him and they say, look, we're your slaves. We'll do whatever. 
But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. And then everything starts wrapping up. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family and he lived 110 years and he saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. And also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And then we have the final verse of Joseph's story and actually the book of Genesis. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. So as we look at this kind of final scene, we find that Joseph could have looked back on his life and had the perspective of his brothers that, you know what, some good things happened in the end. I I was raised to power. But he could have seen it as a mess, a story of brokenness, a story of lost opportunity. He could have kind of mourned the life and all those years lost, but Joseph took on a different perspective. Instead, Joseph, as he looked back on his life, he he didn't have what you might call 20-20 vision. Instead, he had what you might call 50-20 vision. Because as he looked back at his life, he looked at it through the lens of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Now, I want to put this back up here in case you missed this. The way Joseph looked at his life was this. He said, look, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, as Joseph looked back at his life, he was able to see from a godly perspective, he was able to see that every single moment of his life, God had been at work. And so as he looked back to a time like the time when he was a slave, a slave in Potiphar's house, he looked back and he remembered, you know what? Even during that time, that terrible dark time, God was with me. God's favor was upon me. And he realized, you know, it was during that time that that God gave me these spiritual gifts of leadership and administration. In a small way, I began living those things out. If you remember, he led Potiphar's house inside the house and things beyond. So he began thinking, you know what? God was at work back then. And then as he thought about being in prison... He remembered, you know what, even when I was in prison for years, God was at work in my life. He was giving me favor. He was with me. He never left me. He gave me the gift of interpreting dreams. He had continued opportunities to use his gifts. And he also remembered, you know what, it was during that time that that my character grew. That God was growing my character and that I grew in patience and in compassion And I grew to have mercy for other people because I was in this difficult situation. He looked back on that time. He said, okay, God was at work. Then he looked back when he was risen to authority in Pharaoh's kingdom. And he said, you know what? That that was a cool moment, but it wasn't cool because I all of a sudden had power. It was cool because God was at work using me and Pharaoh's kingdom for the saving of many lives. And he was able to see, you know what? If 
he hadn't have had these events in his life, he wouldn't have ended up there. And thousands, if not millions of people, if he wasn't there, they wouldn't have been saved. They wouldn't have been saved from hunger and starvation and famine. And so as Joseph looked back on his life, he looked back and he saw something that other people like his brothers, they couldn't see. He saw that even though if you just looked at his life on a timeline, it might look like a big mess a lot of times. He saw that every single moment God was working in the midst of that mess and God was creating a masterpiece. He saw every moment God was at work, working things together for his good. And like I said, this is the end of Joseph's story, and it's actually the end of Genesis as well. And if you think about this idea of, of God taking a mess and making it a masterpiece, I mean, this is really the story of Genesis, because if you remember Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God made everything, and in the beginning, everything was good. Then Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They rebelled. We, we, we see sin entering into the picture. We see brokenness. We see destroyed relationships. We see families having all of this strife. We see people hurting one another and murdering each other. And, and there's just a big mess. And in the midst of that mess, even in Genesis, God is at work. God's at work and he says, you know what? I want to do something about this mess. And so he calls a man named Abraham, Abram. And he says, look, through you and your family, your descendants in the future, all the people of the world are one day going to be blessed. It's through your lineage that I'm going to work for humanity's good and restore things. And Joseph is one of Abraham's descendants. And, and Joseph, we see in his life, the partial fulfillment of this covenant that, that through Joseph, lots of people in the world were blessed as they had food. And then as God's people settled in Egypt, they continued to grow and become fruitful. They continued to multiply. The family continued for generations to come until in the fullness of time, the one came who everything was pointing to, and that is Jesus Christ through this same family, the one through whom all people are ultimately blessed through the gift of salvation. And if you look at Jesus' life, I mean, if you just like plucked Jesus' life and looked at his resume at age 29, you know what you would see? If his, if his resume came across your desk, you're like, wow, failure to launch, Jesus. 29 years old, you haven't done much with your life. You've just been hanging out, maybe doing some woodwork. Then Jesus got started with his public ministry. He started reaching out to the outcasts, to the poor, people who were struggling, people who were in need. And guess what? The religious people didn't like it. People started colluding against him, trying to plot against him, trying to destroy him. And then ultimately we see on, on one Friday, Jesus was executed on a cross. He was tortured, he was punished, he was executed by the Romans along with common criminals. And if you looked at his life right then and there, you know what you would say? You would say, you know what? Jesus' life looks pretty much like a mess. People intended to harm him. But God all the while was working for good. Three days later, he rose from the grave, and it's through Jesus Christ we see God redeeming all of creation, God restoring all things, God bringing us back into relationship with himself. We see that even in the midst of what seems like a mess, God is always at work, and he's working to create beautiful and good and life-giving things. And the Apostle Paul, when he's reflecting 
on Joseph's story, on Jesus' story, and how God is at work in each of our lives. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says it this way. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I want us to read this out loud together. Would you read it with me? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Next week we're going to have a message on, on the Bible and Holy Scripture and I'll just tell you this, if you don't have any scriptures memorized, put this one to memory. This is an important one. And when we look at what Paul's saying here, I man, I want you to notice what, what he's not saying. I mean, he's not saying everything that happens in your life is good. Because everything that happens in your life, look, we could just go around the room right now. It's not good. Not all of it is God's goodwill for your life. The pain, the suffering, the sin, the brokenness, the, the tragedies. He's not saying here that everything that happens in your life is good. He's saying that in all things, God works for the good. And notice here who, who the main actor of this sentence is. It's not us. A lot of times we try to put our lives back together. We, we, we feel like it's broken, there's broken pieces, and we, we try to mend it and tape it, but it doesn't last. Notice who the main person is here. It's God. Paul says, God is working all things together for your good. It's God at work. He is the one doing this here. And what Paul is saying here is that when we love God, when we love God and we surrender our lives to him, that we can trust that God is faithful, that our God is a redeeming God and our God is at work in our lives, redeeming all things, working them together for our good. Even those things that aren't good. God is using those. And he's able to redeem even those things. One way to think about this is through an analogy of, of baking. Anybody in here like to bake? This explains why I don't get many treats, you know. <laughs> this explains it. Not many bakers. Not many bakers. Um, no, just kidding. It is Pastor Appreciation Month. That's okay. Um, I like to bake. I like to bake because when I bake, I get to lick the spoon. I get to eat the extra batter. And then when it comes out, I have to try them and make sure everything's good before I take them to small group or, you know, to church or somewhere like that, right? Anybody in here like that? That's why I like to bake, okay? So I like to bake. It's fall. You know, you got all the pumpkin spice things. I like to bake those. And you know, if you want, you didn't know you were going to get this today. I have a recipe for some brownies here. If you're interested in making, making some homemade brownies, I don't need them. This isn't a plea for brownies. Um, but if you look, look at the recipe. I mean, you know, when you make something, there's a lot of different ingredients. I mean, you have things like, I, I love sugar, right? Who doesn't love sugar, butter, salt? One of the things I like baking is with chocolate chips because then I can eat the extra chocolate chips as I'm going. Cinnamon chips, if you've never used those, are delicious. So you have those, but then you go down and you also see in here there's vanilla extract, not that great on its own, just to drink it, you know. Um, unsweetened cocoa powder, every kid makes this mistake in life. They think it's going to be delicious and then they just cough it up. All-purpose flour, flour is terrible on its own, baking powder. But what happens is, you know, when you stir them all together, 
over time with heat applied, something great and delicious comes out of it. And I mean, this is one way to think about how God can work in our lives. I mean, yeah, there are those good things, the sugar, the butter, the salt, like, you know, the promotion, the birth of a new child, seasons of life where it just feels like everything is going well and everything's clicking, new friendships. I mean, those are things we love and we say, you know what, I'd love to just add more of those to my life. But then there are those things that are like some of this bottom half of the stuff, bankruptcy, losing a job, abuse, depression, friends betraying you. I mean, these are things, none of us on our own want these things in our life. We don't like these things and we don't want these things. But what God is able to do is he is able to take those things, the good and the bad, and he is able to work them together for our good. His hand at work in our lives is, is able, in a way that is, it's very hard to explain, he is able to bring all of those things together. And a lot of times it, it takes time. Sometimes it, it takes heat. But over time, God is able to use the good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives to create something beautiful, something life-giving, and something that gives life not only to us, but to others as well. He's able to take what looks like a mess and make a masterpiece. And maybe this example is, you know, it's kind of a theoretical illustration for you. And so I want to bring it a little, a little more concrete. And I came across a story recently of a man named Joel Sonnenberg. And Joel's story is a story of God redeeming broken things in his life. And I came across a video where he recently shared his story with uh, Calvary Chapel Church in Fort Lauderdale, where he's now on staff. And, and I thought I'd play his story for you so you can see how God was at work in his life and begin to think about how God might could work for good in your life as well. And I just want to let you know, in the, in the video, there is going to be some scenes of a car accident and um, when he's a child, some medical procedures. So um, if you want, you can just close your eyes and, and listen um, but I'd also encourage you to watch it as well. I was burned in a car accident when I was 22 months old. Uh, my, my family was on the first vacation we'd ever been on as a family. And we were stopped at a toll booth and a truck, a huge semi, hit the line of cars that we were in as we were stopped at the toll booth paying our toll. Um, it was about a seven car accident. I was the worst one injured in the accident. I was burned over 88% of my body, lost all my fingers, um, lost all but one toe, and um, doctors gave me a 10% chance at living. Um, through the power of prayer and the skilled hands of the doctors, God working through the skilled hands of the doctors, um, after four and a half months of fighting for my life, I died. No, I didn't die. I, I lived. Um, I, I survived and I was finally released to go home. Um, but, and, and usually this is the point in the story where 
a lot of people breathe a sigh of relief, you know. They went to Disney World, that kind of thing. Uh, but really, uh, this is where my real memory picks up. I came home from the hospital and my life was full of bandages and dressings and pain and physical and emotional pain. My life was full of anger and rage. But my, my parents really pushed me to get out of my comfort zone. They would put me in a mall when I was very young and they would tell me to say hi to everybody that passed by and smile. They wanted me as a young child to face head on uh, what will become more of a norm in my life. It wasn't until I received Jesus did I see that as an opportunity. I grew up in a very, very small town in North Carolina called Montreat, North Carolina. It was a really uh, wonderful place. I was able to excel in sports. I was able to excel in school. I went to seminary. I became an itinerant speaker around the world, literally. Um, I wrote a book, um, traveled everywhere. And one of the places that I traveled was here to Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale. I met up with Pastor Bob. God took over in our meeting and one thing led to another and there was a opportunity for me to come down here. So it was a natural fit that I started working with King's Kids, people with special needs. We've grown to probably 200 families, about 60 of which come on a week to week basis. We teach them God's Word. You know, God's Word says it never returns void. So it doesn't say, oh yeah, and it returns void with kids with special needs. No, it says it never returns void. So our job is to keep the kids safe and to teach them God's Word in a loving environment. Just being here has opened doors that we may not have necessarily looked at. It's been really a blessing for our family. There isn't a day that goes by uh, during church service that I don't meet, meet a kid that goes, what happened to you? And I go, I was burned in a car accident with a lot of fire and God saved me. How cool is that? There are real things out in life that you have to confront and that you have to deal with. And the great thing is God can help you through those things. He can carry you through those things. So you think about Joel going around communities and speaking and even just going to worship. A lot of people, when they see him, they, they, they take one perspective and look at his life one way and kind of say, wow, what, what, a, what a tragic story of life. But, but Joel, actually, he takes a different perspective. And he knows that when he surrendered his life to Jesus, Jesus came in and was able to redeem all of those bad and broken things that he had been through. And I just want to let you know this morning that, that God wants to do the same with your life. 
maybe you're here and, and you feel like your life's too messy, it's too broken, that God is done with you. People in this world are done with you and God wouldn't want anything to do with you. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're in the middle of, of the mess right now and this is a very hard message to hear because when you look at the future, you, you can't see how God could ever make a way or ever bring any good out of the situation you're in. Maybe you look at your life and you're like, you know what, it's not a masterpiece. It's just like a boring piece of artwork that's not that significant. I mean, maybe, maybe that's you this morning. Wherever you find yourself, I just want to invite you to surrender your life to God and to just say, God, I, I need you. I want you. I need you to come in to the mess and to the brokenness and do something beautiful that I can't do on my own. And God promises that when we invite him in, that he is a redeeming God and he will begin to work, he will begin to restore and he will begin to do beautiful things in us and through us. I just want to pray that that God would do that in each of our lives now. Heavenly Father, we're here for you today. Some of us are here exploring faith in Jesus. Some of us are here who've been walking with you a long time. God, some of us are here and we have a lot of doubts and we're unsure about things. God, wherever we are in life right now, we just want to say our lives are yours. You created us. You've redeemed us. And we believe that you want to continue to be at work in our lives, even now. So God, we offer you up the the terrible things that have happened to us, the terrible things that we've done to other people, God, the pits that we might find ourselves in. God, maybe the the mountaintop experiences that we're on right now, God, we give it all to you. We give you our past, we give you our present, and we give you our future. And we ask that you would enter in and that you would begin your redeeming work inside of each of us. And you would help us, like Joel, to be light, to be beauty, and to give life to others in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.